This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of the Tom and Bob Show, where each week we discuss best practices in the field of customer experience management. I'm Tom DeWitt, Director of CXM at MSU, and I'm joined by my co-host and partner in crime, Bob Keipel, Vice President of CX of M and retired Global CX Executive with General Motors. Without further ado, let's get this show on the road. Welcome to another episode of the Tom and Bob Show. I'm Tom DeWitt. And I'm Bob Keipel. Today we're joined by Brittany Polyubisky. Um, Brittany, you serve as the Assistant Director for Culture Transformation at General Motors, and I understand your scope is global. Um, could you please describe what that position entails and how your team fits into the overall structure of General Motors? Absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's an interesting role. I, I think I could probably tell you a bunch of different ways as we fit, but if you think about the broader scope, um, our team sits in global talent, so part of our global human resources organization, uh, but we serve the entire enterprise. And we were established really to do a couple things. Uh, when we think about culture for the organization, it's how people behave and how things work around here. And so it naturally makes sense to fit with our engagement team. So um, part of the global talent team includes our, our engagement folks and the people who measure how people, the engagement levels of people in the organization. But our team specifically is intended to help employees understand um, how our behaviors, uh, we have seven cultural behaviors at General Motors that we live by every single day, and how those interactions every day by living those behaviors help us achieve the business objectives that we're going to need to reach in order to hit our vision of zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion, which is crazy uh, aspirational and hard and challenging, but also exciting and something to be proud of. But we know that it takes a lot of connection to that vision and not everybody can find themselves there and not everybody understands the roadmap to get there. So we work with all functions across the organization to help them understand how they fit and what their accountability is to help create the culture we need to get that vision. Awesome. And uh, GM, General Motors, and CEO Mary Barra have been in the news a lot lately. GM doing a lot of amazing things to help ramp up production of ventilators and producing masks. And as GM is looking to reopen and start bringing people in, and I know the plants have already started to reopen, what are the challenges for your job and how are you approaching it? Yeah, first of all, I mean, I could, it's, I've been at GM for about eight years now. I've always said, I've never been more proud, and I'll say it again, in, in how we've behaved during this, I've never felt more proud to be an employee with a company. Mm. Uh, for my job, so one of the, some of the work that we were doing, you know, culture doesn't change in a day, and culture change at an organizational scale like General Motors is to try and do it all at once is futile, I will say, having been in this role for some time. So what you have to do is try and work in, you know, team by team, group by group, and that's, you find these positive sparks and catalysts, and then that grows. What we were doing in that vein was having one-day alignment sessions with senior leaders and their teams and the, the entire organization that they lead, and those were in person. So you think about, we had, for the rest of the year, we had about 120 sessions globally planned and more to come to get people through these alignment sessions that we were finding were really helping people connect as a team, understand where they fit. It was going great uh, until early March, and you know the world changed. 
And so our, our world has changed considerably as well. So when you think about not only the return to work, but how we've evolved, I've been, again, super proud that our organization says culture still matters. Even though we can't meet in person, probably now more than ever, culture matters in how we take care of our employees. So uh, we've had to completely reimagine what our work looks like and how we align people. So we've created a webinar series and virtual town halls. We've created toolkits for leaders. Um, and so a lot of the work we've been doing to prepare for return to work is around um, helping leaders be prepared, helping employees feel um, included and heard and, they, and trusted as they do their work. So our team's been very closely connected with what that return to work looks like for every employee. But for, for me, the challenge is we won't be able to get back to those large sessions anytime soon. And so how do we continue to help people uh, believe that this is important and take action into this? And I'll say, as we've built this webinar series, we've done a lot of prototyping and testing. Our team is also, uh, we lead design thinking for General Motors. So we're very adaptable to change and we're trying to help people understand, okay, just because one thing doesn't work doesn't mean we can't innovate and think of a different way. So we've had to reimagine all the work that we did. And as we return to work, we're not only mindful of making sure that culture is still top of mind, that we're helping people understand how these everyday moments drive beliefs of employees and how that will help us achieve our results and vision, but also making sure that it's woven into uh, how they behave every day. You know, we were talking before, Tom, about um, how culture and organizational culture is so important. And we follow this belief of say, behave, operate. It's really easy to say culture matters. We could have a senior leadership team that tells you, yes, we think culture is very important. We want a culture to be successful. We want a culture of inclusion. Um, we can say all those things. And lots of companies do. The importance to employees, though, is very small. Just because you say it doesn't mean it's going, to, it's going to stick. Then there's the behavioral aspect of how do we make sure that uh, our leaders and employees are behaving in that way. And when people were surveyed and asked about 7,000 employees, they said very few of their leaders behave in the way that they say is important for the culture. The big, the big um, thing that keeps me up at night is the operate. Very few companies think about the way their organizational structures, policies, procedures empower employees to live those behaviors or truly allow them and enable them to do that. And it's the most important part for employees. They need to see that it's being woven in. So we've worked really hard at reimagining the way our culture work is as we return to work to make sure that we've created kind of micro actions and, and triggers for employees that they don't have to step out of the box and do these one hour sessions or take time out of their day. But it's really about just that day to day interaction and the processes that we follow. So we've reimagined our work in a way um, that we're constantly thinking about that operational side to truly drive the culture change. And the good news is we can do that virtually thanks to technology and you know video conferencing. Doesn't replace that in-person interaction, but we certainly have found ways to to cope with that as we move forward. Well, so, sounds like you've really been approaching this in a really positive way. That's fantastic. Now I know you kind of touched on this al already, um, but what's your end goal for the culture at General Motors? Well, there, uh, my Brittany's goal, <laughs> and I think it's very, it's very aligned with our leadership. And, and when we talk to people all the time about this is um, a culture of inclusion where employees feel like they can bring their whole selves to work, a culture of safety. You know, I think that's a great example of how we've, um, where we've really succeeded is a culture of safety. I think it's woven in to our DNA. You know, Bob, we've talked about this. It's, it's so important 
to, um, again, that say, behave, operate. If you think about that mantra that my team and I speak to leaders about constantly, safety over the past few years has become just part of what we do. It's not just mm -hmm. about saying that's an important or having safety messages at the beginning of every session, but you look at what we're doing in the world today and how we've reacted to the pandemic, and it's just who we are. And so continuing that culture of safety, continuing the culture of um, inclusion, and I would say accountability. Accountability is at every level. It's not just about leaders, you know, holding people accountable or holding themselves accountable, but how do we, every single employee, hold ourselves accountable to drive a culture of inclusion, of safety, but also to live those behaviors. I mean, if, if behaviors became something where we didn't even have to talk about them, you didn't have to say them, it's just how we acted. That's when you know that there's true culture change. So if, if we lived in a world where we were constantly challenging the status quo, constantly putting safety in the mindset, and employees came here and felt included, heard, and could speak up, uh, what we know is when employees are informed and empowered, it's just, the, the world is endless. We have the ability to have so many different voices heard, ideas heard, um, and we are able to have truly a diverse workforce with diverse ideas, and that's, that's game-changing. And I think some these uh, these crises put us in a situation where we have to react quickly, and I'm proud to see that every time some of these things happen, we're saying, what did we learn? And so we're doing a lot of that now is, what did we learn that will help drive that culture that we want? Awesome. You know, and I have to say that I know GM gets recognized a lot for people feeling included and the diverse nature of the workforce and everything. Um, I'm going to turn it a little bit now mm -hmm. to like the customer experience of the actual customers that say buy or lease or get service on a vehicle. Um, where does the customer experience in terms of key outcomes at GM and what role the organizational culture play to sort of get that ultimate customer experience at the point of attack? Uh, there's, there's lots of places, I think. And I think probably now in the past, over the past eight years, I can say now more than ever, the customer focus is really starting to hone in. I mean, you look at things like our customer experience organization and our global connected systems, there's a ton of work that we're doing. But it's interesting, I've talked to some of our senior leaders and you know, one in particular said to me, hey, you know, I, we always say we think customer, which is one of our cultural behaviors. But do we really? And so from my perspective, from an organizational cultural standpoint, what we are doing, I can speak to the design thinking. So if you're familiar, design think, we, we work a lot with Stanford University for um, programs around um, executive development. And part of that is leveraging their D school around design thinking. With design thinking, is, there's many different methodologies. We leverage Stanford. And so my team has responsibility for helping people understand that mindset of um, problem solving. And it's all rooted in empathy, which is understanding your end user. So we do a ton of work around what's the end user. We have tons of smart people in our company, just like everyone does. And we often think, I know what, I, I know what that is. So I'll give you an example. I worked in talent acquisition for a very long time. And I led university relations for GM for a very long time. And uh, I was the smartest person in the room. So people would come and tell me what they, what they thought they needed. And I already knew the answer without speaking to the end user, without getting ex And we do that because I think that that's just what we're programmed to do. Um, and we also don't often pause and think because of time constraints, of resources, of all of these things. And so to think customer in, um, internally is what does the end user need and did we ask them? So we do a lot of work around training people around the design thinking methodology. And that could be a product-facing issue of, you know, what does the customer need, a door handle, re you know, reconfiguring something, the, you know, how we 
um, shop click drive, which is how we're, you know, working on virtual ways for dealership experiences and purchasing vehicles um, virtually. It, that came from some design thinking work that happens you know, in the organization, but getting people to stop and say, did you ask the user? What, what does the user need? And not just saying, oh yeah, well here's the market research. That's also equally important, but it's, did you talk to people? Did you put yourself in their shoes? Often we solve problems from a place of privilege. And it, with design thinking, it allows you to really put yourself um, in someone else's shoes and then say, oh, actually that's not the problem we're trying to solve, it's this. So I think from an organizational standpoint, and I hope I'm answering your question, at least from where I sit, it's helping people understand what does the customer truly need. And that customer, when we say customer at GM, we're talking about the people who buy our products and services, um, whether that's people who buy our parts or customers who get in our vehicles and drive them. Uh, but it's it, when we think there's also the internal customers or stakeholders as we call them. And so when we solve for cultural things, it's not us just solving because we think it's cool. It's going and talking to people and finding out what do they need? Where are the pain points? And then how do we solve for that? Um, so I think it's, we're getting, we're building a culture where people are truly starting to believe that. I mean, our customer experience team, they're trained in design thinking. We have engineering groups that are trained in design thinking. We're working with our senior leadership team to ensure they're completely versed in the design thinking uh, methodology to get really, for people to truly understand what empathy is all about. Yep. Thanks. Uh, that's fascinating. Um, you know, General Motors is truly a, a global company. It's a large company. What are the keys to engineering change in such a, a large organization towards, towards your end goal? And, and what, are, what are some of the barriers and enablers in doing so? I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I guess, we don't know either. Will you, will you guys That's let me know? When, let me know when you find out. No, uh, I can speak from from my lens. I think you, you know, in the space that I sit in and the work that I've done, when you think about organizational change, um, it's hard. It's hard at any level, and then you add to that one of the largest, most global companies in the world, and it's extra hard. I think what you need is with any change, and I'll speak specifically to the ones that we work with, you do need senior leadership buy-in. You need a connected team of people who interact well, who team well. Um, I've, I'm, I couldn't be more proud of our senior leadership team. I'm lucky to say that I get to work with them um, the way that they, again, how you handle situations like what we're currently facing, as well as the, I just think it's a, a well-oiled machine and a team that's working quite well together. So you need people and whether that's our senior leadership team or if you're thinking about organizational change in a particular group, it's do you have the right um, stakeholder team alignment or the leadership team alignment? Who are the people that need to be aligned? But then I think what's huge um, that's hard is communicating that. The why behind the what. Why are we doing this? Um, we're going to do this and why. I think that that is something consistently in even with the people that I work with outside of GM and, and partner and network with that we don't always do that. We talk about a change that's necessary. We either make that change without doing the empathy or doing the research or, um, and then we don't communicate it well. And so I think what is the secret here is making sure that we explain, we think about the stakeholders. So going back to some of the work that we do, there's some organizational change happening in one of our regions and we're doing a stakeholder mapping, um, really a, a design thinking tool where we do goal setting and stakeholder analysis. So we think about where do you wanna be two years from now, you know, a year from now, because we're constantly putting out fires, that if there's going to be organizational change, give yourself the permission to look forward, look ahead, 
and then think about who are the stakeholders that need to be included. Our organization's so big and siloed. I mean, our headquarters is literally a building made of silos. <laughs> so yeah. at the Renaissance Center. And so, you, you know, you think about how do you break that down? So that's a problem every, many massive organizations face is that things are just siloed. And so I think, how do you make sure, again, taking the time that who needs to be included in this decision? How do we go about this? So when you're thinking about change, do we have the right stakeholders in the room to talk about that? Because again, just like with empathy, it's, it's easy to say, oh, okay, we're here. We can't have everybody here. Let's just solve the problem. We own the big R, so let's just decide what it is without thinking about what the real problem is or thinking about who else needs to be included. Um, and so we've started, that's some of the work that, again, just from, from my lens, I would say that that's what you do. And then you need to have small wins with organizational change or large, you know, that type of change. I think there's probably not really a silver bullet that answers that question of how do you get at it. But I do think explaining the why behind the what, helping people understand because then you need to have champions. So when we think about our culture change, it's not just about Mary and our senior leadership saying this is important. It's not just about me being someone who's super passionate and energetic and my team who is also those things, getting in front of people and having them be like, wow, it's also about grassroots efforts going on and people kind of walking that talk at, at, the, at the grassroots level, at an all-employee level. So um, I think what we're seeing is uh, there's a lot of groups in the organization that are making sure that there are champions or ambassadors, if you will, when there are large organizational change pieces. So it's not just leadership, but helping that why get cascaded to a couple different levels so people are bought in, because I think that needs to be there. So as you have early adopters to some of these changes, they become these kind of positive catalysts that happen or a positive contagion, I think it's called, that starts to swell and then the change is adapted a bit better. Um, mm -hmm. but not really, I don't think there's this magical recipe. And if there is, I don't have it and I need it and I want it. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't we all? <laughs> well, yeah, you're, I think you're, yeah. you're in a, such an interesting spot and your challenges are huge and you interact with so many different types of organizations inside the big organization. Um, can you just take a moment to talk a little bit about some of the key people in your business life who have really motivated you and given you the insights that have helped you? Yes. Um, do we want names? <laughs> well, you know, if you want to dish the name, sure. Uh, well, here, here's what I'll say. Um, right now, you know, I think about the senior leadership team here. And I can say wholeheartedly that Mary, Divya, Kim Bryce, our CHRO, um, I can continue to keep naming names, but I, I've never been so proud of um, the leaders in this organization at current state. If I think about the role I have to do, I've got to, I've got to be in a role that truly believes that this organization wants what we say we want. And we have leaders who are supporting that. I, I have unwavering support of the work that we're doing, even when it's hard, even when it's time consuming uh, from our leadership. And so I think that that is something that keeps me going is making sure I wouldn't do this if it wasn't something that I believed this organization wanted and needed and was willing to support. And so I think that, that that's helped me. Um, I, had, I had a boss. So there, there's two people who um, is at, at GM that really helped support me. Um, Bill Huffaker, who's no longer here, and Chris Oster, who's also no longer here, but, all, but, an, but she is a Spartan. Oh, uh, Very proud. Yeah. Um, yeah, people in my life who uh, I, I think anybody that you have, and I say those two names of people who truly um, empowered me to make change, to help drive change, 
uh, empowered me to have a voice. You know, I, we teach a model here called the Moments Matter model, which is really foundationally Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if you will. But listen, you might see somebody on the surface, but they've gone through experiences and hold beliefs that cause them to act the way that they do, that cause them to behave the way that they do. And I think I've just been privileged by a lot of great leaders who have created moments for me and experiences for me that create the belief that it's important to have a voice, that change is good. I'm probably more adaptive to change than my team likes or, <laughs> or that many are. And, and I think I attribute that to that. So I, I think that's who keeps me motivated to do this. Um, I do a ton of reading. Um, I'm, I'm really, there's the new upstream book by Dan Heath. Not sure if you've, if you've read that, but a ton of Dan Heath. Yes. No. Yes. Oh, reading. Oh, he's uh, not a Spartan. Oh, reading. <laughs> <laughs> you mean there's not a YouTube video for that? There needs they to be a, a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what? Funny enough, I just listened to him to, on a podcast. Oh, so, there you go. Um, okay. I find myself, uh, I do, I nerd out to books and listen, if you would have told Brittany 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, you're going to love reading books. I'd be like, okay, <laughs> neat. I don't, I don't want to meet that, Brittany, but I do. There, the power of story, I would say, it is really something that motivates me too, to hear compelling stories, compelling storytellers, um, and hearing stories of organizational change that works or, or these small things that you can incorporate. Again, I, it sounds weird, but I did some studying in behavioral change and when you think about just the, the power of small moments, it's extremely motivating because you think all it takes is this. If you go and do this, surprisingly, the moment is so big. Um, and when, then when you see it working, I don't know that it's a particular leader or a particular person, but that's, that's motivating. And I definitely don't think I answered your question. So I'm going to go back to you. You're oh, nodding your head. Really? So maybe. Oh, you it. totally <laughs> did. Yeah. We're asking you about the people and your motivations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And honestly, I don't think I could do this job without the team I have, quite frankly. I mean, they are motivated and inspiring and excited and they go out every day and you think about the work that we've had to do to reimagine every time you know, when this pandemic happened, it's caused us, we were on such a momentum and things were moving and the employees were excited and we saw momentum and data and then we had to stop. But um, they, they're like, okay, let's figure out a different way. And so that's motivating too, to see people still want to do this even when it's hard. Yeah, no doubt. Mm -hmm. So Brittany, uh, what, is, what does success look like for you? Um, maybe more on a, on a personal level. What are the most personally rewarding parts of your job? Um, watching leaders make connections with their team, watching leaders grow. Um, I, I'm uh, an executive coach and, um, and love seeing people, the willingness and the change. So seeing things change for the good. Um, hearing the stories. I know that sound, you asked it's personal for me, so I'm going to make it personal, but finding out that, you know, going through these sessions or going through, um, we, we send out a cultural diagnostic survey where we ask employees within a function how they're feeling about how their team and leadership team is living the behaviors. Some of my favorite, most satisfying is looking through those and watching leaders be vulnerable. And they are. They hear the feedback that they get from their teams. And they say, I want to do something about this. Brittany, this is, we need to fix this. Let's work to fix this and being action oriented. And it happens all the time. Um, so that's super satisfying. Um, getting to, to meet great people in the organization. I am very lucky that I've had jobs my whole time at GM that allow me to interact with every part of the company, every part of the world. 
And there's some amazing, there's so many amazing people at this company. It's allowed me to network with amazing people outside of the company. Um, even those that were out at the company once and, and now I get to network with them in other places. So, uh, and so it's true. So I, I think I'm so lucky that I get a job where I get to meet people and then people ask me to come talk about why I love what I do and what we're doing and to be able to have a sense of pride that, I, that it's, it's worth it. I mean, I would be lying if I said it wasn't hard. Culture change can take years, 10, 15 years. Um, but to be proud to know that I can, you know, I think anybody wants to leave their job and say, I left it in a better place than it was. And if I took a new job tomorrow, I could say that. I really do believe that I could could say that. I'm not done yet. I'm not ready to be done. We worked so hard. I want to see this through the finish line. Um, but I think the stuff that motivates me every day is seeing those small changes, seeing leaders wanting to do more, seeing leaders, you know, me picking up the phone saying, hey, I know we canceled those eight-hour sessions, but we have this other way to do it. And then the trust they have is, okay, so show us what it is. Let's go. We're ready. Let's do this. And seeing that they're starting to put this into into practice. That is something that, um, that makes me proud. That's great. It sounds like a lot of good things are happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is, this has been great, Brittany. I, I learned so much today. Um, awesome. and I'm glad I got this recorded because otherwise I'd be writing down a lot of notes. <laughs> I talk uh, very fast. <laughs> uh, it was great. It was great. We really enjoyed it. And, uh, so thank you for being here with us today. And we want to thank uh, our listeners for, for joining us for another episode the Tom and Bob show. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tom and Bob show. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell your friends and share it on LinkedIn and Twitter. If you have any ideas or suggestions for future podcasts, send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. After all, you're our customer. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.